the probably the lowest moment was like during the C-section where it was just like everything that I wanted was torn away from me. I'm, you know, laying there on the table just going, I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my legs. And I was totally safe. I mean, everyone around me was calm and kind, but I was just really panicking. Hello and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas. I'm your host, Madon Wingo. Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Why, hello, Healing Trauma Mamas. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, We've had a great start to this uh, new season of Healing Trauma Mamas. We are just started into our second year. It's kind of a a little bit wild to to think that we've already gotten there and um, it's it's been a great start. I'm so thankful for um, Sophia coming to speak on the podcast from Greece and um, just all that she brought um, to the platform and to the listeners. And uh, I'm really thankful for a a new guest today um, here in May. Um, getting to share with you all just some, some new stories and, and I love every time a mama comes on and shares her story. And I always am encouraged to, to just see all the strength and resilience in all of you out there and what you've been through and how, um, I know it's very vulnerable to come on the podcast and share your story, but I also know that it is so needed because when we share openly with each other, we really encourage each other and and show each other that it's okay to do that. And with that being said, I, I have an amazing guest with me today. Haley is on the podcast with me. Haley, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. So um, my name's Haley and I live in Abilene, Texas. Um, I am originally from New Mexico and then I came to Abilene for college and then stayed here. We kind of say that it kind of sucks you in. So ended up staying here and met my husband and uh, we got married. We bought a house we got a dog and then we had a baby kind of in that order. <laughs> mm, I love it. That's awesome. So welcome to Texas. <laughs> I'm a transplant as well. Um, but yes. we feel the same way. Like, oh, we are here to stay. We're not going anywhere. So I love I love it so much. Yeah, it's it's a really great area. And one of the things I always tell people you know, people from, we're originally from Northwest Arkansas. They'll ask like, why West Texas? Why would you want to stay there? I'm like, we have amazing people here. I don't know what you're talking about, but uh, we've, it's, it's an amazing area to live and we're extremely thankful to be here. I agree. I love it so much. So I um, would love to hear about your journey, kind of um, how, how you got to where you are today um, as a mama and I think that's amazing. And you are welcome to start wherever you would like to start. I don't know if you have anything from um, your childhood or growing up that you'd kind of like to go into, but um, the floor is yours. Um, awesome. Well, yeah. So I, um, you know, always knew that I wanted to be a mom and that I'd have kids someday. That was just kind of 
always on the table, um, but exactly how that would go down or how birth worked, had absolutely no knowledge, no experience. Um, and then uh, I did know that my, my mom, she breastfed me for a year and my siblings. So knowing that I kind of went into it, knowing that I wanted to breastfeed and knowing that I wanted to do just some parenting things that I knew from my parents and the way that they had raised us. And then kind of uh, flashing forward to whenever my husband and I got married, we actually had a lockdown wedding in April of 2020. <laughs> so yeah, it was crazy. So we had to cancel our wedding. We had to have it in a backyard. Around that time, there was um, just a lot of talk about health and a desire to kind of be like more natural or more like holistic or crunchy. And I really had found in my own life that things like, um, you know, just eating more um, fats and more protein had really helped me with um, just like getting rid of headaches and sleeping better, better digestion, stuff like that. And so I never really had like any chronic health issues, but I did feel like I felt better when I took care of myself in those ways, you know? So um, that was in 2020 and then COVID happened. It really kind of made me think that I wasn't necessarily trusting of um, like big pharma or the hospital system and stuff like that. And so really just seeing that and kind of following along with some um, influencers, like, I don't know if any of your listeners have heard of uh, Purely Parsons. Um, her name's Elizabeth Parsons, I think. That sounds She familiar. has, yeah, she's like a Instagram influencer in Texas. She has um, kids that she homeschools them and she had a really crazy surprise twin home birth. <laughs> So oh my, yeah, she had that them in 2020. I think it was like the end of 2020. She had like all of her, she had a couple of ultrasounds, a couple of like things where they listened to the heartbeat and they thought it was one baby the whole time. Wow. <laughs> like for reals. And she, you know, went to labor, had the first baby and then was like, I think there's another baby and I don't know how you can go along carrying two babies and not know. I think it, at first I thought it was kind of weird, but of course I was all, you know, into that story, watching it unfold mm -hmm. as, you know, I'm, I'm learning about health and I'm learning about home birth and I'm like, wow, this is just so interesting. And so, um, then in 2020, one so kind of um right before we got married and like during the time we were married I decided to get on birth control I thought that birth control would kind of solve all of my hormone issues mm. and that if I just got on birth control it would fix everything I could lose weight I could stop having heavy periods and so I, but at the same time I knew I had in the back of my head, like, this is probably not a good plan. <laughs> and so I was thinking, you know, maybe there's a natural way to, to fix some of these issues that I was having. So really mostly got on birth control for that. But at the same time, we felt like we weren't ready to have kids. And so it ended up being like, okay, let's just do birth control and that'll be our solution. So we got married and then in 20 like at kind of end of 2021 or middle of 2021, 
I was like, you know, I need to get off of this. It's not helping. It's not doing us any favors. And I actually felt like I experienced more like menopausal symptoms yeah. being on birth control. Yeah, <laughs> like, those, those hormone just, fluctuations can be very difficult. Yeah, it was so, so frustrating. I felt like, um, you know, a lot of the, I guess, um, sex drive was just like gone. And I'm like, I, you know, got married, like I'm supposed to be, um, you know, I'm a believer in Jesus and I, you know, saved myself for marriage and now I don't have any sex drive. (laughs) Like so weird. And so I just felt like I needed to do something. And so I talked to my husband and I also follow, um, Dr. Jolene Brighton. She is a, um, a hormone doctor uh, for women gynecologist. And she talks about how to get off the birth control pill. So I used her book and I followed it to a T and I followed the exact kind of diet, which is kind of similar to like a whole 30 year paleo. Um, so I followed all of the instructions. Um, so it was a very clean diet and then a bunch of supplements got off birth control and I felt so amazing. I had like no cramps for the first time in my life. Yay. And um I was just like, wow, this is awesome. But then at the same time, me and my husband were like, but we're not ready to have kids. So let's just, you know, figure out a natural solution. So we got the um natural cycles app. And mm-hmm. um so yeah, got off birth control in um, July of 2021. And then, uh, by December I was pregnant. So <laughs> the natural cycles app, you know, it works for some people, but not for everyone. <laughs> yeah. I tried that. I tried that something very similar as well and ended up with, uh, uh our fourth. Yep. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, but it was definitely 100% God and really the timing did, even though it wasn't what we had necessarily planned, there was still a lot of like God's favor in it because mm-hmm. we had, we had already, we had just bought a house that um, we had invested our money into. We were, we had got a dog. And so we were kind of learning some, some things about like training and kind of like parenting in a way <laughs> um, just as a couple. So, you know, we were kind of set up for potentially having a baby anyway. And Um, so I like my period was late in, uh, December of 2021. And I was like, I went to my husband and like, I think we needed to get a a pregnancy test. And we were so nervous. We went to HEB and which is a grocery store in Texas. And we went to go get the pregnancy test and in the like really late at night. And we were like sneaking it. We were like, hoping nobody saw us. Even though, like, we're married, but isn't for that? Some I mean, isn't we... that crazy how we feel that way? I mean, yes. seriously, we should be able to just shout and be excited and be like, "Hey, I, I might be pregnant! Yay! This is amazing!" But yes. our culture has kind of been like, "Hush, hush" about it. Yeah, yeah, we felt like we needed to kind of like sneak around and and get the pregnancy mm. test, and um, and then I took it at like six a.m. because I um had read that the levels, um, of the hormones are stronger mm-hmm. in the morning. The HCG hormones. Yeah. That yes. morning urine is, is going to be your best bet usually. Exactly. So got up, took the test. It said pregnant. And I immediately just like 
started praying and just thanking the Lord. And I felt like immediately, I think I already knew, but I just, that was when I first started kind of like praying over my baby and like mm-hmm. just praying that, um, uh, you know, for his life. And the first thing I did was pray for his salvation and just like right in that moment. And then, um, whenever it was time for my husband to get up, I didn't wake him up. I actually waited until he was ready to wake up. And then I went and woke him up and I said, it's true. I'm pregnant. And he just said, we need to get a better car, a safer car. (laughs) (laughs) That's a practical man response. Yes, exactly. That's just, he's immediately going into (laughs) provider mode. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, so and then, you know, we kind of, uh, told, we told our family first and then we wanted to kind of wait a little bit longer before we told friends and everything. And I had already started seeing the nurse midwife at our hospital because, um, I knew that she would probably have a more holistic outlook on my decision to stop birth control. And so when I had gone to see her for my well woman exam, I told her I wanted to stop birth control and she was totally on board. And she said, you know, tell me how it goes with that book and everything and very supportive. And so I knew that if I ever wanted to also have a baby that I would want to do it with her um, because that she would hopefully have more of those, that mindset than the hospital would. So um, we went ahead and saw her for like the very first checkup, which was the eight week and um, that was when we got to hear his heartbeat mm-hmm. for the first time. And so we did that ultrasound and heard his heartbeat. And that was just so exciting. It felt real. I don't think it it doesn't quite feel real until you hear that heartbeat. I feel like yeah, it feels like you're in a dream. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so then we at that point, it was just like all in research mode. One of my best friends from back in New Mexico had a birth center, um, birth and, um, I was completely unmedicated and she was one of my best friends. So when I told her I was pregnant, she immediately mailed me through Amazon, a copy of, um, Ina May's guide to childbirth. Mm. And so, um, I opened that, get that in the mail. So like, I haven't even announced it on social media and I'm getting like books and I'm just so excited to kind of dive into it. And she's telling me, okay, read it, have your husband read it. Here's what we did. She's giving me all the advice. And as I'm reading that, I also found an Instagram um, called pain-free childbirth. And that also kind of like the story um, of the surprise twin birth, it kind of made me think about it in a different way. Cause I thought, um, you know, I love the Bible and I take God's word very literally. And there's the part in Genesis where he says, that the woman is cursed to have pain with childbirth. And after having painful period cramps my whole life, I just really thought that that was just part of our natural um, order of things, that we were just destined to have this pain and that there couldn't be as such a thing as pain-free childbirth. But then when I saw that Instagram account, it really started to kind of open up my mind to like, maybe there is a different way. And maybe our bodies were designed to have um, a pain-free experience or maybe not completely pain-free, but not so painful that we have to cover it up with all these medications. Mm -hmm. 
So basically, it was mostly Instagram. I watched a bajillion birth videos on Instagram. I researched the heck out of birth. I was so invested. I was learning about pelvic floor. I so at my the company I worked for, there were like nine other pregnant women at the same time. And it was so fun. And we actually had a pelvic floor class that we did. So I was like teaching a class, learning all about pelvic floor and um, just everything to do for to prepare for birth. I did spinning babies. I was doing um, the different poses every day to get my hips aligned and my pelvis. And um, then I think I got a little ahead of myself, but after I went to see the nurse midwife at our hospital, I decided to research possibly doing a birth center. And I ended up finding a midwife and um, going there, I was like, okay, this is much better. And my husband came, we um, interviewed her, we asked all of our questions. And when we left, he had a feeling of peace. And so did I. And we were just like, yeah, we don't want to do this in the hospital. We want to do this at a birth center. And my husband, he's not as into kind of the crunchy stuff, but he <laughs> didn't want to, yeah, he didn't want to have to wear a mask at the hospital. <laughs> and so at the time it was kind of back and forth between, um, people having to wear masks in the hospital, even the dads. And I mean, some towns, I even saw the moms wearing masks while nursing their baby for the first time. Like the masking was so much that we just didn't want to be in that situation where we constantly felt like we had to fight. And so, but part of me, like kind of looking back on it, I think that I wanted a natural birth for me and for my baby, but I really wanted it because I wanted to prove something. Mm. I wanted to prove to my in-laws, to my parents, to everyone around me that you could do it. And I think that like was that sense of justice maybe Mm -hmm. of like, this is supposed to be how it's done and I have to show people and I have to fight for natural birth and make this something that people see in a positive way. So it's, it's weird. It's like, it almost wasn't just for me. It was like, I wanted to make a difference somehow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I completely understand that. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure on yourself though. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so I was like, I'm going to do this to prove something. You know, my in-laws were hesitant. Even my mom was kind of like, okay, are you sure? Okay. And And, you know, they were like, all right, do this thing. But, uh, you know, and then everyone tells you their most horrible birth stories. And so, uh, like, every aunt, every grandma, they're, like, telling you these horrible, scary stories. They're like, yeah, well, you just try to do it without medication. Oh, I needed that epidural. And really making me think that I was going to have to really go through a hard time to, to, to get to that natural birth. So anyway, so I was like, I'm determined to do this. I am doing everything that um, my midwife says. I'm taking, you know, supplements. I'm working on my blood pressure. I'm working on um, working out. And um, I worked out like six days a week, if not a full workout. I was doing yoga, um, lifting weights, just trying to do everything I could to stay in shape and I felt amazing during my pregnancy too. Like I had no nausea. 
I was rocking it. I love yeah, being pregnant. That's awesome. <laughs> I felt like I was just glowing. You and... were. Thank you. <laughs> I yes, remember. Yeah. You, you looked so healthy and looked so good. Thank you. Yeah. I just loved wearing like tight clothes to show off my bump. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> everywhere I went, people are like, oh, how's the baby? How are you feeling? I'm like, I'm feeling great. And just really loving it. And at the same time, I had like the the normal emotions probably, but I wasn't afraid of the birth at all. Um, I just watched like a million birth videos and I was just like, I'm not afraid, but I was really afraid of a Mm C-section and I was afraid that I would have the baby um, or I would, I would go to the birth center, be in labor, and then I would have to go to the hospital and transfer and that I would, I guess, fail. Mm -hmm. And so kind of like you were saying, like I put this pressure on myself, but I also felt like if I failed and had to go to the hospital, that that would be a failure. And, you know, you can say all day like, oh, it's okay. However they're born and it'll all work out God's way. But I really, in my head had this plan Mm -hmm. that, that had to happen. And, um, so yeah, I was really fighting for that. And, um, throughout my pregnancy, everything was going great. And then at 31 weeks, um, I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought that I had peed and I was like, Hmm, I guess I, you know, peed in the middle of the night. That's weird, but it's probably just another weird pregnancy thing. And then, um, I like smelled it and it smelled sweet and I was just like, Oh no. Mm-hmm. And so I just quit did a quick Google search. Is it pee or did my water break? <laughs> and you'd be amazed how many articles there are about that. Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm not and, amazed. <laughs> and so many of them, it's like describing it. And it says, if it's sweet, it's probably your water. Mm-hmm. And it said, lay down for 30 minutes. And if it continues to come out, then your water has broken. So I laid down 30 minutes and it's like, um, 2 AM at this point and it just keeps on coming out. So I wake my husband up. I'm like, I think my water broke, but at this point I'm still thinking, Hey, that's fine. Like I could be on Maybe it'll stop. Like it'll stop coming out and maybe I can just be like on bed rest or something like it'll be fine. And so I'm just thinking, that it's all going to be okay. And I call my midwife at 3am. I'm like, Hey, pretty sure my water broke. This is what's happening. And she just goes, Oh no. Oh no. And I'm like, that's not probably not good. <laughs> that's what she's saying at 3am, you know, half awake. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, here's what you're going to do. She was very calm after that. She says, you're going to pack your bag. You're going to go to the hospital. You're going to check in. Um, and you're going to stay there for a while and your baby's going to be in the NICU and he's going to stay there for a while as well, because it's, it's too early. He's not, your water's not supposed to be breaking right now. And so, um, and I'm like my bag, I don't have a hospital bag. Like I don't have anything packed. I thought I still had two more months. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no bag. We don't, at this point, we don't have a mattress for the crib. We don't have a car seat. We have nothing. And so I just throw together a bag with like my toothbrush and change of clothes 
and we get in the car and I start playing the Christian hypnobirthing app Mm -hmm. as we're driving and I'm just listening to the verses and staying calm at this point, like no contractions at all. And we get to the hospital and they check me in and they're like, oh, your water broke. And they're acting like, okay, this is a big deal. They put me in a wheelchair and get me all checked in. And then they do like a swab to make sure that my water is truly broken. And it reads as like positive for amniotic fluid. Mm -hmm. And then, um, then they kind of just assign whichever random doctor on call. So at this point I go from like the amazing relationship I built with my midwife to now being with just a completely random doctor, um, and random nurses that I don't know. And they said, they kind of broke it down for me. They're like, we want you to stay in the hospital until 34 weeks. Then, um, you'll have the baby. They didn't say how they didn't say if they would induce me or anything, And they're like, then you'll have the baby at 34 weeks. You can't go past that because at that point, your water would have been broken for uh, four weeks. So So they were like, you can't go past that because it's too risky for infection. And I'm questioning that because I'm like, well, why? Why? Like, But I'm just listening and I have all these questions in my head. And then they said... Um, and then at that point he'll stay in the NICU and the minimum he has to stay is 35 weeks. So if you can make it to 34 weeks, then you're in the hospital for three weeks. He's only in the hospital for one week. So minimizing the time that he would have to be in the hospital. So that was the goal. Um, I don't think I even said the gender part, but he, it's a boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Mm. I, and I was so excited for it to be a boy because I always wanted to have a boy. So, and we um, already had his name picked out. His name is Owen. So um, at this point, we are just chilling in the hospital. It's like 4 a.m. And they put me on magnesium, which is a, an IV drip of magnesium. Um, if your listeners don't know, um, the point of that is um, it stops contractions, but it also is supposed to help protect the baby's brain, I think. And then they also gave me a steroid shot in the butt, Mm -hmm. and that was supposed to help his lungs grow faster. Yes. So um, those are kind of the two main things they put me on. So at this point, it's everything that I did not want. It's I'm hooked up to an IV. I'm stuck on a bed. Um, I have tons of nurses surrounding me. I have all these IVs in me. Um, They tell me that I'm going to have to have a catheter. And I was like, no, I do not want a catheter. I was like, can I do something else? And they said, okay, but you can't get up to go to the bathroom. So you're going to have to use a bedpan. And so I had to use a bedpan. So it's like, we just kind of dived all in with like oh, vulnerability. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I wanted my empowering uh, natural birth where I was going to be standing up. I was going to be in control. And now I'm literally like using a bedpan. <laughs> And so, and that's just really humiliating. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it really is. It is so difficult. Yeah. And so finally they let me like after the first time using the bedpan, they were like, oh, well, I guess you can get up and go to the bathroom as long as the nurses help you. So, oh, and I was hooked up to the fetal monitor Mm -hmm. and the contraction monitor. Um, It showed contractions, but I really did not feel anything. So I, and I, to this day, 
um, don't know what a contraction feels like. So they they um, end up giving you tributylene. I don't they were think so. Them. Okay. I don't think so. It was just magnesium. Okay. And I, at this point I called my doula. Um, her name is Jen. She had been through a very similar experience with her baby. One of her babies at 27 weeks and had to be on magnesium. So she came to the hospital while I'm laying there and she just gives me all the encouragement and tells me that it's going to be okay. Um, and that, uh, she'll be there for me for whatever I need and that she's been through it before. So I'm on the magnesium for 48 hours and that was really not as bad as I think for some people, the experience is really horrible, but for me, it was really not bad. I was just kind of zoned out. Um, but just relaxing. And after the 48 hours, then I'm just, I'm like ready to go. I'm like popping back up and like excited. Like I'm feeling good. Um, but I still have just amniotic fluid just kind of gushing out every Mm -hmm. time I move. Mm -hmm. So I'm in like mega diaper things (laughs) and I've got like a whole towel set up and the nurses are kind of helping me out. But at that point I kind of dropped all of my embarrassment and was just like, this is just how it is. And now I'm having fun with the nurses. I'm like, nurses, I need you have like, I need more towels. <laughs> um, and so I started to kind of develop a relationship with the nurses for that 48 hours. They had to um, check my vitals every hour around the clock. And then they had to draw my blood every five hours. Mm-hmm. So constantly having people coming in and out. And then after the 48 hours, they kind of let me have a little bit more freedom. They gave me a saline lock instead of an IV. They um, let me kind of just get up and walk around the room. I wasn't supposed to like stretch or anything. I was really trying not to um, cause labor to happen. So at this point, I'm not doing any spinning babies. And the baby was, he was breech that whole time. So... Um, every time the doctors did talk to me about a plan, they just said C-section and I'd be like, well, I mean, what are the options? Like, can you induce me? Um, can, can we do something else? And they're like, well, let's, let's see if you make it to 34 weeks. And so they really were kind of just putting off that decision to see if maybe he flipped, but it's really going to be hard for the poor baby to flip when there's no fluid. (laughs) He's just yep. kind of hanging out with no fluid. He's breech and his heartbeat was great. Like he's, he's doing awesome. He just can't really go anywhere. So, um, and at this point, so, um, I went in on a Thursday and I went through the whole weekend, um, and into the next week and throughout this whole time, my husband's uncle, um, was suffering from pancreatic cancer. And so my mother-in-law was actually going back and forth to Dallas between her brother in the hospital with pancreatic cancer and then me in the hospital with my water broke. Oh my. <laughs> and so she's going back and forth and it's just um it it really was a crazy week for our family. And so the, she decides I said okay. I'm going to be good. They're keeping me here for three weeks. So I'm just going to chill here in the hospital for three weeks. I'm going to play games on my computer and watch movies and you can go back to, um, back to your brother. So she leaves that like Tuesday morning. And then that Wednesday, 
um, I actually got my computer and I was like, let me just work. So I'm sitting there working in the hospital and um, I don't think HR was super happy with me for working in the hospital. <laughs> I'm sure they were. Um, they, they were like, can we get a doctor's note? <laughs> and so I'm in the hospital. I'm working. I'm like um, Zooming with my coworkers. I'm getting stuff planned. I'm like, hey, I wasn't supposed to go on maternity leave for two more months. So I'm not prepared at all with all of the work that I have to do. And I actually had two jobs at the time. I was editor of a magazine and doing a marketing job. Mm. So I had to get both jobs kind of handled and on maternity leave as quickly as I could. So trying to get all of that knocked out. And then that Wednesday, I started having some bleeding. And up to this point, I'd never seen a drop of blood. Like okay. I never had spotting, not a single drop of blood. And then I saw blood and I was like, okay, I got to tell the nurses. So I call the nurses, tell them that there's blood, and they said, we'll get the doctor. So it's 2 o'clock, there's blood. The doctor comes in at 4, and he says, he's like, okay, let me um, go ahead and, you know, take off your clothes and Check I'll you. examine. Yeah. Yeah. So so blood would be a sign for the listeners. So blood would be a sign of cervical dilation. Um, and so I'm sure, which is what they're trying to avoid at this moment to try to get you longer because dilation means that labor is probably gearing up and, um, your, your body's trying to kick into gear. Exactly. Yeah. So as I'm like kind of taking off my pants, blood just starts kind of gushing out. Ooh. Like, um, at least that's what it felt like to me. Like it's just kind of dripping out all over and, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're bleeding. And so they kind of like sit, uh, I like sit back. The doctor comes in. This is the only time that he checked me. And he pulls out some tools and I don't even know what they are. And he kind of like starts to look around and then he kind of comes back out. And I'm, I'm not um, like dilated or anything, but there's a lot of blood. And so he's like, I think that the placenta might be ruptured his, his assessment of it. And he was like, so we're going to get this baby out right now. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, we, we need to get this baby out now. And I'm like, okay, let me think about this and remember all the questions I plan to ask. And this is what I try to ask every doctor is what are the risks? What are the benefits? And what happens if we don't do it? And so I asked him, what were the risks? And he said that there was risk for the baby, which, you know, they kind of always say that. And there's risk for you. And I said, well, what happens if we, can we just like hang out and maybe do a C-section tomorrow? Like, can I just like wait overnight? Like I've already been hanging out here for a week. And he was like, I think you are going to wake up in a pool of blood and Mm. we are going to have to do an emergency C-section if we wait. So I would like to do it now. And I was like, okay, what are, and I was like, okay, tell me again, like, what are the risks? And he says, maternal death, fetal death. (laughs) And, you know, kind of looking back on that, I'm like, I think that's what they usually say. But in the moment you're kind of like, okay, I don't want to die. I don't want my baby to die. Like, yes, we're doing it. Let's do it. For sure. And so um, I was like, okay let's do it. And so that was kind of our little interaction. He said, 
maternal death, fetal death. And I said, okay, let's do it. So at this point, and my husband's not there. My dual is not there. I'm just there with him. Um, and he was very calm and everything. And so at that point, it was like four o'clock. I close to four o'clock. I call my husband cause he was at work. Cause we thought we were just chilling. And so he comes running, driving over as fast as he can. I call my doula. She comes over as fast as she can. And um, by the time they get there, I have like a ton of nurses around me and they're like, shade. they're like, okay, I'm going to shave you now. And I just remember they're all surrounding me. And one of them says she's going to shave me, I guess, like shave the area where they were going to cut open. Mm -hmm. And I said that it reminded me of the scene in the little mermaid where all the ladies are giving her a bath. Oh, (laughs) and so I just start making jokes. And pretty much from this point on, I don't stop talking and making jokes. Like I'm just constantly like joking and laughing and just talking like totally out of like panic mode. Yeah. Coping mechanism. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm just making jokes, talking to the nurses and my doula comes and she's like, okay, let's pray. They've got me all prepped. And she asks one of the nurses to pray. And I th- I think that nurse actually was neighbors with my husband when he was a kid. So it was really one of those little full circle God oh, moments. Wow. And That's so, awesome. yeah, it was amazing. So then she prays over us and um, they start rolling me back to the operating room. And when we get in there, there's worship music playing and, um, and the doctor that ended up the assigning to me, uh, he works directly with that nurse midwife that I had already kind of had a relationship with. And so she's in there and there's worship music playing. I'm like, okay, this, this is kind of what I wanted. Like maybe like a gentle C-section, but I did not make any, um, demands or anything. I didn't say Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is what I need. I was just like, we're just doing this. It's already ruined. My natural experience is ruined. I'm not going to try to make it anything else. And then when the doctor comes in, he turns on country music. So that was the end of the worship music. (laughs) And um, so then they're, you know, they um, put in like all of the IVs and then they're like, had me um, put in the needle. I don't remember what it's called. It's stronger than epidural. It's like a spinal thing. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And then they probably a spinal um, block yes they put in the spinal block then they put in the catheter and that that was what I really didn't want I don't know why I had a huge problem with the catheter but it just freaked me out and then when they were doing um when I started to go numb that was when I really started panicking so I'm like freaking out and like squeezing my husband's hand and going I can't feel my legs I can't feel my legs he's like you're not supposed to feel your legs And so really that was kind of more, um, the, probably the lowest moment was like during the C-section where it was just like everything that I wanted was torn away from me. I'm, you know, laying there on the table just going, I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my legs. And and I was, was totally safe. I mean, everyone around me was calm and kind, but I was just really panicking. And then they hold up the baby and um, to preface this, they told me that he probably wouldn't be able to breathe, that his lungs would probably not um, be working, right. that he probably wouldn't cry, that he would have to go straight into um, some type of lung support. 
Well, they pull him out and he immediately starts crying like a normal baby, just full on crying. And so we're just like, I just remember saying, wow, he's crying. He's crying. This is so great. He's crying. And they put him on the scale and he was four pounds, six ounces, which is like for 32 weeks. That's That's actually really big. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, wow, he's big. He is breathing. And so then, you know, there's no golden hour, nothing like that. They just immediately rush him back to the NICU. And my husband goes following them. And then I'm just laying there. My doctor is stapling me back up. And he's like, so can I ask you, why did you want to do a birth center? And then I was like, because I didn't want to be in the hospital. <laughs> and I'm just like laying there kind of like, this is why, because I didn't want to be here, <laughs> like mm-hmm. on this table. And um, I was like, hey, while you're in there, can you kind of look around and see what happened? Because we still had no um, understanding of what had happened. And he like said that he kind of glanced around, you know, my uterus and everything looked very healthy. He said that he saw no reason why I couldn't have more children or couldn't have um, a vaginal birth in the future. And of course, he said that like all while he's stitching me up. Um, and then he said, um that the placenta was beginning to calcify. So I actually don't know for sure if it truly ruptured, but he did say that it had calcified. And I'm not really sure what that means. You may know more about that than I do. Well, Um, some calcification, it can be normal. I mean, we see lots of variation in placentas. Um, Sometimes it can be a sign that the placenta is having uh, some issue. Um, Mm -hmm. Unless it, I mean there's normal calcification then I don't know if you had like some abnormal like large amount of calcification which would make it so some area of the placenta maybe wasn't working um mm-hmm. but that doesn't sound like was part of the issue so I would be really curious to know did you actually have a full placenta abruption yeah. or you know what what actually no happened there yeah yeah I still to this day don't really know and I am curious now that some of that like um, you know, trauma has worn off and I'm feeling more confident now mm-hmm. to kind of know what happened because I still don't. It'd be interesting to get your records just to kind of look through and just kind of see yeah. what he noted. Um, because when he checked you, he didn't say anything about a previa then, right? No, no, yeah. he didn't. So a previa would be if the placenta was, was going over the cervix. So okay. he, he most likely would have been able to feel that if you were dilated at all, like, like a fingertip, um, yeah. or anything like that. He, he most likely would have been able to feel that. Um, yeah. but I mean, the bleeding was coming from somewhere. So, I mean, the most obvious spot that it would be coming from would be the placenta. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. especially if you're not having any dilation happen, um, exactly. unless yeah. there was some, you know, subchorionic hemorrhage or something like that um it's interesting yeah I I would be interested to know like you know what what was going on yeah yeah especially in the future just for my own big peace of mind there are um you know there's some things like cori amniitis like um that is an infection like a Mm -hmm. amniotic fluid infection 
yeah. that might, you know, would cause a premature rupture and right. would mean that, you know, the placenta wasn't doing well, you know, if there's some type of infection going on, but you never ran a fever and they never mentioned infection, right? No. Yeah. yeah. No, they, they put me on antibiotics, um, along with the magnesium from the moment I came yeah. in. That makes sense. But no, no fever. They were checking me constantly. Yeah. So Yeah. So it's really interesting to, to wonder, you know, I'm sure for you, like, why did it rupture in the first place? Yeah. You know, what was going on? Yeah. Especially in that moment, I just remember having a lot of fear of like, I don't know that I'd want to do this again. Um, And kind of feeling that kind of crushing feeling because I'd always wanted a big family and wanted a lot of children. And then to have that experience with my first was kind of like in the moment was just a lot of like fear and hopelessness. Yeah, that's a lot. But then, that's a lot all at yeah, once. Yeah. And so then they sent him to the NICU and um, my husband came back and I recovered. So about three hours maybe went by just kind of like all of the, you know, the spinal block wearing off. And then I was finally able to kind of get up, walk around. And then I'm like asking the whole time, like, when do I start pumping? Like, how does this work? Cause I want to breastfeed. Like at this point, my whole focus has changed, you know, the birth is mm-hmm. behind me. And now it's like, okay, how, I have no idea how this works. I don't know what a pump looks like. I haven't ordered my pump. Like, Um, so I'm just completely dependent on the hospital and they bring out the big hospital grade medulla pump and there's a nurse who has never had a baby. She's probably my age, but, um, you know, she's never had a baby and she's telling me how to pump. (laughs) So she's like telling me how to like hook up the pump and put in the pumping bra and everything. And then she said, just do this for 20 minutes every three hours. And that's pretty much the only advice I got. (laughs) And so I started pumping and then um, the next day I got to talk to lactation counselors and I just um, went all in just like I had with birth. I started Instagramming everything about pumping. I ended up following all of these Instagrammers who are like kind of pumping influencers mm-hmm. and I got all the lactation um, counselors to help me. So that first day I'm like pumping um, and I did finally, I think before the my I got up and walked around, they actually rolled me into the NICU and I finally got to hold my baby. And that was just like, oh, such an amazing moment. Oh. And like, just that feeling like this weird feeling like your heart's breaking, but not really. <laughs> and um, just holding him for the first time about five hours after he was born. Then... Um, then they took me back and I started pumping. And then with the NICU, the way it works is every three hours, they wake them up and they feed them and they do a diaper change and everything. And so every three hours I would try to get over there if I could. I was pumping every three hours. I was trying to get sleep and I was trying to get over to the NICU, which is on the other side of the um, hallway from the uh, mother baby unit. And so that was quite a whole experience um, with the nurses there and the people drawing my blood. I remember there was this one lady who was really rude when she was drawing my blood. She couldn't draw it. She stuck me like four times. And then she was like, you need to drink more water. I just remember being like, don't you tell me to drink more water. (sighs) I've already drinking like five gallons. I'm trying to pump here. 
and you know and so just little things like that that mm-hmm. I find so hilarious looking back on it was just a hilarious moment and then um so yeah I got out of the hospital after two days and then I um the c-section recovery was honestly not as bad as I thought I think that was one of my biggest fears but I followed everything. I took my laxative. I took my um, mm-hmm. pain meds. I, um, as soon as I was able to, I've been doing scar massage. I did um, core rehab, pelvic floor therapy, all of that. Um, and it really was not as bad as I thought. And then, so at this time I'm pumping the first 24 hours, the pumping was just miserable, like, and I'm sure if I actually had got a chance to latch him, it might've been miserable too. I don't know. I don't know what that would be like. Um, but anyway, I just pumped for 24 hours and then I finally got to have skin to skin with him on the second day. Mm. So they were able to put him in my arms and he did not need any lung support. So all he had was a feeding tube and an IV. So they put him on my chest. I finally got skin to skin. And then after that, I pumped and I finally got um, about 10 milliliters of colostrum. And I was just, and before that, I was getting one drop. So I was pumping for 20 minutes Oof. and getting one drop of milk. So I remember after that 24 hours, just being like, God, if I'm going to get to rescue, like, I need to see some milk in here. Like, please just put some milk in here. And I was praying. And when I finally got that 10 milliliters of colostrum, I was like, okay, I can do this. Let's do this. Mm. And then after that, I started getting a little bit more and a little bit more every time. And we just started visiting um, my baby every time we went to the hospital. And he the first week he had to be only tube fed. So just through the tube, but he did get to have my milk and some donor milk. So that was nice. And then after the first week, my milk came in like truly, um, but I never got more than two and a half ounces. So every three hours I was getting two and a half ounces. And that was really kind of discouraging because you see on Instagram, like all these people with huge freezers full of milk and just thinking like I'm not making that much like what's wrong with me but at the same time he was only um he was only eating about an ounce or two ounces through the tube anyway so I was still making more than what he was eating so that kind of gave me some confidence to know that I could make enough for him and then the first week two weeks goes by and me and my husband are, we're pretty miserable. We're going up to the hospital, but we're just so sad. And at that point I'm, I've got like postpartum fog and I'm like, I can't take my baby home. I'm just pumping. I don't get to hold my baby, um, all night long. And so it was just like a really hard time and we were discouraged, but we tried to stay positive. And by the we ended up being in there almost four weeks. So by the last week, we were there for almost four weeks. By the last week, we were so confident. We were walking into the NICU. We were saying hi to all the nurses and all the parents. And we were like, what's up? And there, I remember there was this other um, couple and this baby that came in. 
And I remember seeing them just sitting there staring at their baby, just silent. And they were so sad. And you could just see like all of the joy just sucked out of them. Mm. And then meanwhile, me and my husband were, we're talking to him and we're singing to him. We're praying with him. And, Mm. um, and I noticed that after a couple of days, um, like the second or third day, that other couple, they started talking to their baby too. And so it really was just kind of like um, eye-opening for me that like we were able to bring God's light into that place. And just even though it wasn't where I wanted to be, it was where God had put me. And so it was a place where I could still like show his light. Yeah. And so, and there were other things that happened. There was times where the doctors, where I asked them, you know, what were the ingredients? What were they putting into my milk? Cause they gave him uh, milk fortifiers, what they called it, but really it was just formula. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so just things like that, where I think that I had the opportunity to ask these questions to the doctors that no one had ever asked before. And they told me that they were like, no one's ever asked what the ingredients are. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, things like that and things like encouraging those other moms, there were a few moms in the NICU that I stayed in touch with over Facebook and Instagram. And those were kind of the moments where I started, even as we were in the NICU, I started to see, God was kind of showing me like the positive side of what had happened and showing me that, um, I could make a difference because you remember I was saying that I was, I wanted to fight for a natural birth, not just for me, but for other people. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to change the system and you can do that by like leaving the system and going and doing a natural birth and, and leaving the hospital system. But sometimes there are people who are going to have to still be in the hospital system and push back and say no to things. And so um, I think that that's kind of where God had me. And I ended up being that person that had to question these doctors and start making them think and um, encouraging the nurses and making them think and just stuff like that, that um, you maybe need to be on the inside to start doing, I guess. And yeah, what amazing testimony of getting to really, I mean, be the light where you were and, yeah. and still praising the Lord and, you know, still worshiping and being thankful and having that attitude of joy, even though you were experiencing circumstances that were absolutely, you know, out of your control and yeah. something that could have been like extremely traumatic and, um, really, I mean, heart-wrenching and devastating that, you know, all your plans um, didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything that, you know, really could have gone out of your control did go out of your control. (laughs) And, and yet to still, when faced with that type of adversity, to still smile and laugh and joke and be joyful and praising the Lord. I mean, that's such an amazing testimony. Yeah. Yeah, we, I remember we went to church without our baby, like once I could move around and, and was able to go, we go to church without him. And I'm just like telling everybody at church, I have a baby. I have a baby. I know you can't see him, but I have a baby. Oh, I love it. <laughs> um, and like, I would even tell people at the grocery store, like I'm in the line at the checkout and I'm like, guess what? I have a baby. <laughs> I love because, it. You know, I didn't have like a big belly anymore. So I was just like wanting to tell everyone. And then, um, he really struggled with his bottles 
Um, we did a little bit of breastfeeding while he was in the NICU, but really we just focused on bottles. He finally finished his bottles. He got out. Um, the first week was rough, but I'm sure that's true for most people. Um, when you first bring a baby home, I used a nipple shield and that really helped. So he was able to latch with that. And by the end of the first week, we were off bottles and just breastfeeding oh, 100%. Wonderful. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I kind of had to just put away the bottles and just trust. And my parents were super encouraging because they were like, if he's hungry, he'll cry. Like, you'll know that he's hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and it's kind of hard with preemies because at the beginning, they don't cry. They don't wake up. And so that's why they need to be forced to wake up or tube fed. But um, once he kind of hit his due date, he woke up and he told me that he was hungry and he has not stopped since <laughs> being, making it clear that he's hungry. I love it. Um, and so we were able to transition to the nipple shield. We used the nipple shield to breastfeed until he was seven months old. And at that point, he decided he was done with it and he still didn't have the best latch, but he figured it out. And so now we don't use the nipple shield anymore. So that's been good. And um, from all of that, I learned how to trust my milk, trust that it was enough. I learned how to pump when I was away from him because I had to do it for a month. Um, So going back to work was no problem for me. And from there, I was able to encourage other moms, even moms who had had a um, vaginal birth experience and had the golden hour, but then they were struggling with latching and they were texting me saying, I remember you said something that you about exclusively pumping. Tell me all about it. And so then I'm helping other moms with flange sizing and how to use your pump and encouraging them. And then I have some other moms who ended up having C-sections that that weren't planned. And so I'm encouraging them sometimes without them even asking because I get so excited to be like, oh, don't forget to take your laxative. Like, don't forget to get your pelvic floor therapy and do your C-section massage on your scar and like just encouraging them. And so um, I had another friend who had a baby in the NICU um, as well for a, a few weeks longer than we did. And I just remember encouraging her like, wow, this is the exact same experience that we had. And my husband was encouraging the dad and saying like, I remember he said that other this other dad, he goes, it doesn't feel like we're parents because we didn't get to take our baby home. And me and my husband go, yeah, we know. And we're like, no, really, we know. We know what that feels like. We know what it feels like to not take your baby home. And so just being able to like encourage those people, like every step along the way, I've been like, wow, God, like that's actually really amazing. And another really amazing part that I almost forgot to mention, um, remember I said that my husband's uncle had pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Um, well, he actually, so the baby was born on Wednesday and he passed away that Friday morning. He got to see pictures of the baby before he passed. And um, it was really just kind of one of those, one person coming into the world and then another person coming out in our family. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was really meaningful for our family and helped them to process the trauma of the cancer because they had this new little life that had come in Mm. and it was completely wrong timing. He he was not supposed to be born in June, but it it all worked out to where it was that exact same week. And so that's kind of like our other timing. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're thinking is like it ended up being perfect timing. Um, so yeah, all of those things I learned about pumping, I learned about C-section recovery, I learned about baby milestones, like it has been quite an adventure um learning how to do physical therapy for Owen. He he loves to um do all the big boy things when it comes to like talking, like he loves to babble but he does not know the physical stuff. And so he's had to do physical therapy. Okay. But from that, I have learned so many things about like, um, not just putting a baby in a bouncy seat because that can kind of hinder their growth, but putting them on the floor and lots of different tricks for sitting and rolling. And so then when I have other moms ask me like, oh, is there anything I can do to help my baby roll? And I'm like, oh yeah, I know 20 things that can help your baby roll. <laughs> and so really, I think I just, I love to be that person that has a lot of trivial information. And then if somebody's like, can I get your advice? I just light up because I'm like, oh, I love to give advice. Let me tell you my advice. <laughs> so all of those experience kind of added up to where if I hadn't gone through those, I would never have learned how to do those things. And I wouldn't have been able to help other people. Wow. So that's my story. Oh, that's <laughs> such an amazing testimony. You were, um, I, I was reading in Ephesians um, recently, and you were making me think about a scripture there in Ephesians. Um, in Ephesians 3, 12, it says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask mm. that you do not lose heart at my tribulations, which is your glory. And I was just thinking how you guys were that perfect picture of that. Like you were going through some tremendous tribulations, but you didn't lose heart at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, you were showing God's glory in all of it. And wow, what an amazing testimony that is um, to fellow believers and to, to others just watching and all those parents that you got to just show um that love and compassion that you had and that joy mm -hmm. i mean that's just just i mean you flourished where you were planted at that moment and yeah i just think that is is such a i'm, I'm gonna say amazing testimony again because i'm trying to think of the right words but i mean it just <laughs> i mean what an example um yes. set for other parents um and you guys yeah. were that and it's amazing yeah I, I love looking at it at it that way and every time I meet like another um mom who had a premature baby we always just connect and we're like oh you too oh wow and we kind of just have this like connecting moment mm. um and so that that's really like I've seen that and I had another friend who also had a premature baby at I think 25 weeks and she, I told her, you know, all these other parents in the NICU were so sad, but then we got to bring in this light and she had the same thing. Like she was the only Christian parent and then come into the NICU and they waited for four months for their baby to come out. And yet they were so hopeful and so joyful the whole time. Mm. So it's, it's really true that, um, you know, the Lord doesn't always take you out of those situations, but he walks with you through them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we know that things are out of our control. Um, there's so much that, that happens that we just, I mean, we often say this, you know, um, 
as a student midwife, like midwives say this all the time that, you know, there's very little we actually are in control of. Right. And as humans, we mm-hmm. know this, like there, there is very little we actually have control of, but what we do have control of is our, our attitude and our perspective during mm-hmm. the situation. And we may not have had any say in what happens, um, yeah. but we do have a say in how we respond to that. And yeah. you guys just responded in such a, a an amazing way. And, and I, I just applaud you for that and just continue. Um, I can see that you're continuing to, to walk yeah. in that and to, to share that great testimony that you have with others. And, and I, I just can foresee so much more, um, coming from being able to share this on the podcast. I'm so thankful that you came on here to, to share yeah. with the listeners and then even looking forward to the future for you. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I foresee that, yes, many more children in your future, like you were talking about, like Yay. you want this large family <laughs> and I can yeah. just see like, there's just such, so many more testimonies going to come out of your guys's confidence and joy. And just because this ended up this way, this time has no bearing on what will happen next time. And it's a completely different experience. And I just, Mm -hmm. I just completely see that you're going to have another like joyous, one of those amazing VBAC testimonies that Ooh, I hope so. <laughs> oh yes, I, I see it happening absolutely. Uh, you'll and have just, to call me up again. <laughs> yes, I love it. Yes, you absolutely are coming back on the podcast and sharing that testimony. Um, yeah. I will want oh, to I, hear that. I did have one more thing I wanted to make sure I said. I think that, like, after that experience, I think two things could be true: is that. I can see my friends who are having to have um, emergency C-sections or see people having that situation and help them and encourage them and be like, here's how we can recover and be like, it's not, you know, it wasn't you, it's not your fault. But at the same time, it can still be true that many of those C-sections are not necessarily mm-hmm. necessary or that the medical system is nece- isn't set up in a way that is positive for natural births. And I think those things can both be true. And I'm still like a 100% advocate for natural birth and for changes in how our hospital system in the U S is run. But at the same time, I feel like I can still be encouraging to those who have C-sections. So I think it's like, I'm not like switching camps or anything. Like I I'm still definitely passionate about that. Right. It's great that you have a perspective where you've been through that and you, and you understand and it was necessary um, for you at the time. And you can see these women um, in that, from that light, from that perspective, yet knowing that, you know, oftentimes it's not an emergency situation. It's not, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that this baby wouldn't come another way. It's decisions that were made to instead have the c-section and it's it's great that you have the perspective of of knowing like this was something you so did not wanted that you were completely you know against yet having to go through it that you're able to look at it from the perspective of okay this still happened i know now that i've been through it i can talk to other mothers about it i can see like you don't have to be afraid of it now because I know that was a big fear mm-hmm. that you have and you have knowledge about it now. You've been through it. You have that perspective, but you can still 
advocate that this is not the best choice unless it really truly is an emergency. It, it is still rough on mom and baby and there are better ways of, of, of doing this. This is not how we were created to have babies, but yet we're so thankful for the medical system when it is yeah, those true emergencies. Exactly. Um, exactly. It's just that's we really need to work on this shift from that being the norm, that being where yeah. we go to, instead of that being the rare exception that was needed in that mm-hmm. emergency situation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much it. Unless yeah. you have any other questions. No, thank you so much. Um, I really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing with everybody and um just continue. Um, it, do you have, um, uh, like a, a group of these, uh, NICU mamas that you would recommend to anybody else? Is there like Facebook groups that you guys oh, kind of dang. all share or anything like that? I don't think I'm actually in any specifically for that. There is a really sweet Instagram called dear NICU mama okay. that just kind of has some encouraging stories. Um, there's also one called preemie hood. Um, and that one is very like, there's some funny memes sometimes. <laughs> like I remember I told you about the magnesium. It makes people feel like they're on fire. And so I just remember seeing a really funny meme that was like, um, I've been through, you know, 48 hours on magnesium. What have you been through? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like all these people talking about how they were like on fire <laughs> um, and just being able to joke about it now. So that's, that's a fun account for some of the jokes and, and also some of the serious stuff as well. Well, that's, that's great. I mean, laughter is a great medicine. So um, that's great that you're able to laugh through that. Well, um, we'll, we'll link um, those different Instagram. um, Yeah. Yeah. I'll um, send you some of those and the pumping ones too. Oh my gosh. There's one with the pump, be my best breast friend, um, carry, um, caring for postpartum. They're, they're really helped me a lot. Oh, great. I love resources. So we'll make sure yes, we'll, I will we'll add send some you resources. All of yeah, that'll be great. So in the show notes, um, just go check out the show notes, listeners, and you can find lots of resources to help you out if you happen to be in a situation um, like um, that happened to Haley. You know, um, if that happens to you, we've got lots of resources for you. And we just want to encourage you, you know, to keep the faith. Um keep walking, keep, keep sharing his light and joy in that situation. And I just see blessings just abounding, um, out of that. Uh, thank you listeners for joining us again today on the Healing Trauma Mamas podcast. Thank you for listening. May you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today. Remember, you are dearly loved by your Creator, so be who He created you to be. May you go in peace, friends. Till next time, Shalom.